This is the show where we let you inside the doors of a world-renowned personal training studio. Welcome to the Enterprise Fitness Podcast. I'm Marcus Aubrey, owner and founder, here to introduce this episode with Enterprise Master Trainer Reese Adams and our guest today, Josh Bryan. Let me tell you about Josh and uh, read his bio for you because it is extremely impressive to all the achievements that, that he's been a part of. Along with his ISSA certifications in fitness training, nutrition, and conditioning, Josh has been awarded the prestigious title of Master of Fitness Science. He was also recently named the ISSA Director of Applied Strength and Power Development. In addition to being a certified, in addition to being certified by the NSCA as a certified strength and conditioning specialist, and by the NASM as a performance enhancement specialist. Josh has completed his master's degree in exercise science with the emphasis in performance enhancement and injury prevention at the California University of Pennsylvania. He is the co-author of Elite Fitness Systems best-selling ebook Metro Flex Gym's Power Basics. As an athlete, he's very, very impressive as an athlete. Let's start with that. He has won many national and world titles in both powerlifting and strongman. At just the age of 22 years young, he was the youngest person in powerlifting history to bench press a whopping 600 pounds raw. He squatted 909 pounds in the USPF, officially bench pressed 620 pounds raw, and officially deadlifted 810 pounds raw. In 2005, he won Atlantis Strongest Man in America competition. Josh has been focusing on providing outstanding personal training in person as well as via the internet. He has combined his education with his in-the-trench experience to develop the Josh Strength Method. The method has provided countless clients with the roadmaps to success. To learn more about Josh Strength Method, look at his website, which is joshstrength.com. He's also the author of Jail House Strong and Bench Press The Science. Gotta say, folks, that this podcast is awesome. I loved listening to Reese and Josh really talk shop about the bench press and just, you know, training in general. I got a lot out of this podcast and actually made me want to bench press, to be perfectly frank with you. But yeah, some ridiculous numbers, and I know you guys are gonna get a lot out of it, that's for sure. Josh certainly is the real deal. So without further ado, let's bring on the podcast. Welcome and thank you for coming on Enterprise Podcast, Josh. Thanks for having me, Reese. I appreciate it. Pleasure. For our listeners, are you able to give us a bit of a background about yourself and how you got into coaching? Um, I started off as an athlete. First, as like a more traditional athlete when I was young, you know, younger and in, in junior high and high school. I did um, boxing, did um, football, track, things like that. Then when I played a year of college football, it's American football. Then I got it. I decided I was going to concentrate on powerlifting. Um, did powerlifting primarily. Um, so was the youngest person to bench press uh, 600 raw. I ended up deadlifting 810 raw and squatted 909. I won the Atlantis Strongest Man in America later. Um, and sort of the highlight of that was a 445 overhead press. And then, um, then since then, um, and I've also done some bodybuilding. I've not competed, but I've trained at a high level with, um, you know, with Brian Dobson from Metroflex and some other pros. Then after that, I decided to, to concentrate more so on, on helping other people reach, reach their goals. And um, so kind of in the process of all this, I had a chance to move around all around the United States, all, all sorts of places to learn more about training. And that paid off. So I kind of did the practical part and the anecdotal learning part first. Then since then, I've gone to get a master's degree and decided to take my passion towards helping other people reach their goals. Awesome. So is that in the sense of... Uh educating coaches or is that more of a case of um just with your clients um i wouldn't well sort of both because um you know obviously when i'm training you know training clients with the clients but um i also do a lot of seminars now uh educating you know, I, I um so at those i would say at least half the people that are tender some sort of coach or trainer yeah awesome probably like 50 to 60 percent then you know the other are athletes or or just people interested but yeah so I, yeah so both I'm sure there's a lot of guys interested. Uh, where do you run your seminars? 
Um, they're all over. So um, next one's going to be um, Cleveland, Ohio. Um, that one after that will be in Philadelphia. Um, then after that in San Diego, California. And then it uh, looks like we're going over to Japan probably in um, September. Oh, that's pretty cool. What's it going to take to get you to Australia? Well, um, we'll definitely talk about it. That's awesome. Wicked. Um, what, what do you tend to cover in those seminars, Josh? Um, well, it depends. So a lot of times um, the, these ones recently have been more, I don't want to call them like academic, but more so like than hands-on. It's kind of showing people different techniques. So, you know, on strongman training for, and that's generally not geared too much so like for strongman. It's for their coaches on how to implement it with like more regular clients and stuff, athletes and things like that. Then a lot of stuff on um, how to increase um, your strength, in, you know, in the power lifts. And then um, also some, some stuff on extreme hypertrophy methods, which are, which are definitely not the kind that uh, you would use, like, you know, with so, so-called normal people. Yeah, yeah. What kind of clients do you deal with mostly? Um, I would say primarily elite strength athletes and, um, some, and, and bodybuilders, high level. But really everybody, you know, that just happens to be like more of how people would know me and, and who I ended up working with. But I do work with regular people, even like, you know, regular athletes, pro baseball players, uh, bikini pros. I mean, all sorts of people. So, yeah, yeah. I've seen some of the guys you've coached. It's um, pretty, pretty amazing stuff. Like um, just to name a few, Branch Warren and Johnny Jackson. Pretty yeah, crazy. absolutely. I actually met Johnny Jackson uh, at the Arnold's last year. Very nice guy. Where was it? Where is it at in Australia? Uh, it's just uh, in the city at the exhibition center. Okay, cool. Uh, in Melbourne. So we're based in Melbourne as well. I have a client in Brisbane. Okay, so that's up north. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about your 600-pound your raw bench press. That's pretty... Uh, pretty interesting so on the journey to doing that did you hit any plateaus or anything like that absolutely absolutely so um i would say the hardest it's just gonna sound funny but the hardest number for me was three to four hundred okay and why was that because um i was in um a lot of other sports at the time and um i was younger and, and all that stuff so Obviously, that, that played a role, but that, that actually was the hardest one for um, – I got from 300 to the upper threes really quick, but, I mean, it took me forever to get from 390 to 400. So that, that was – and then uh, um, all of a sudden one day when we were working out in high school for football, we weren't supposed to be going that heavy, and I, I saw the coach wasn't looking, so I'm like, just slap it on there real quick and did it, like, easy. So then after that, it was kind of unprecedented progress again. It was it – was, um, you know, like, you know, people break certain barriers that have been their way. You know, once they do that, they usually, you know, don't just slightly push past it. They conquer them. So, yeah. What did you do to, to obviously conquer that one? What um, at that use? point, um, what I did, like, I think that helped a lot at that point was getting used to, to handling heavy weights. So, um, I would do things, um, with like weight releasers and stuff. So I'd lower heavier weights and things like that and then push them back up real explosively. Um, also, um, gain, um, that, that was probably the biggest thing. Another one that was huge was um, I really brought my triceps up a lot. So with, with all sorts of different uh, movements ranging from, you know, like close grip benches to, to tricep extensions, dips, things like that, and, and really push the poundage on those. Yeah, you said load releases. What do you mean by these? A weight releaser. Um, yeah. It sort of looks like a J hook. You'd hook on the end of a barbell, and you put weights on it. Um, oh, so, so like, eccentric work. Yeah, I get you. Exactly. Yeah, overloads the eccentric. Yeah, awesome. But the beauty of it is, when you hit the bottom, it releases, so you can press up the concentric. So, like, unlike a regular negative, like say if you could bench four hundred, you put four fifty on lower for five seconds, and that's that. This you can do at normal speed, and then once it releases. So that's um, – I did those. You know, those were huge and, um, when I started pushing over six. Yeah. You know, I'd lower, 
I'd lower um, over six every three every three to four weeks. Crazy. I'd push it back up as explosively as possible. <laughs> Did you ever find that you got to the bottom and one unhooked and the other didn't? Did that happen to you at all? No, because um, I, I got pretty good at setting them up and also uh, just not like, you know, not I, I, it, like lowering under control. And then um, I'm also one of those people that I don't lower it real fast. So, um, like, I don't think that if it did happen, it would, would I wouldn't be lowering it so fast. It would, like, throw me way off. And for two, when you're lifting that kind of weight, you're not really, I mean, you're in such a, a different zone and, and shut out and do all your focus on the barbell that, yeah, I don't, if you thought about that, you know, you broke it in half before you started probably. Yeah. So just, just made sure they unhooked before you drove it up. Make sure they, yeah. Test that a lot with the lighter warmups. <laughs> what was going through your mind when you went for the 600 pound bench press um, or, or any lift for that matter that's um, obviously going to challenge you? Are, are you one of the cool headed guys or do you tend to hype yourself up? I hyped myself up, but it was kind of like um, automatic because I think, um, you know, with if we got a little bit of time here, I explain kind of the, um, you know, the thought process here is I think at that level, I was at what the psychologist would call is um, unconscious competence, which means like you're unconsciously competent in what you do. It just kind of happens because you practice right so many times and like kind of your automatic, like inner, like, subconscious like pretty much takes over and just guides you through it so it's kind of like yeah it's hyped up but it's almost like going through the motions because i'd rehearsed it so many times in my head do extreme rehearsals like not because i don't like the term visualization because that means all you integrates your visual i do like rehearsals where i'd actually like smell it you know and like i would smell what the meat's gonna look like i'd hear things and and i would all that stuff would be put into you know i I could like feel the barbell in my hands without touching it so I, it all it had already been done so many times in my head. It was kind of weird though. Is I went to six eleven right after. I did a six hundred um, easy. Six eleven wasn't close, and I think it's because I got so obsessed with that six hundred that it wouldn't have mattered if I tried five hundred after. It probably wouldn't have gone up because that that's what I came to do and I did it. Yeah, I actually watched that video. It was um, you nailed it very easily. <laughs> yeah, it was a joke, and so I, I mean. The amount of force that was in that bar, you know, who knows what it was, but it was, uh, that was it, dude. It just, it, and I trained with plenty of volume, so you'd think I could sit there and, you know, take 10 attempts if I needed to, but it just wasn't the case. Yeah. With your clients, do you create a frame of mind for them, or do you just do what you were talking about then, the visualization? Do I what now? Do you create a frame of mind for them? So, do you- or do you let them sort of take their own path? Because I know some guys both. like hype themselves up and others like to stay clear-headed. Well, both. So if, we have, if we're working together and it's working well and we're getting the desired results we want, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to mess with it. But like, you know, other people, absolutely. It could be anything from giving them like some sort of affirmation to say to themselves or it could be, you know, whatever else. I actually wrote a book on this, co-authored a book on this called Jailhouse Strong, The Successful Mindset. And uh, that's kind of like I made. We made that book for um, basically, in my way, I put it, it's, it's a book for non-readers. So it's very short. It's for people that don't read a lot of books. And what it is is it's kind of like on different ways to develop that successful mindset. But and uh, it's going to be it, obviously be individual variation. But but generally, I'm you know I'm not going to encourage someone to go out and like bang their head against the bar or something. It's I mean, if it's, if it's worked in the past, you know, and they're setting world records, something like a screw with them, but like, you know, that, that's kind of misdirected focus. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Sort of like if you get a guy who um, doesn't really put effort in and it's very um, relaxed uh, and he's not hitting his lifts, then obviously you're going to try and hype him up a little bit just to make him. Exactly. Yeah. Having trained both successful bodybuilders and powerlifters, do you ever mix powerlifting principles with your bodybuilders and vice versa? All the time. So I call it—I would call that a um, continuum of you have powerlifting limit strength on one side and like sort of absolute hypertrophy training on the other side, and there's going to be crossing over, and it, to, to what extent it depends. So, um, like for instance, if you put like a bodybuilder, um, they had one study that showed like there's pretty similar results in hypertrophy for both types of training, but I think what it, what it, a lot of what it comes down to is like for instance, the first time I trained Johnny Jackson was for a powerlifting meet and he cut, he came in 23 pounds heavier than we were expecting without 
trying to purposely gain that kind of weight. So the point being, he hadn't been training like that. So it, it basically was like, you know, as a as a bodybuilder would call it, like sort of muscle confusion, if you will. And it sparked so much new growth where um, the same flip side would hold true. If you put a power after that's only trained heavy all the time on some sort of like traditional bodybuilding program, he'd grow like a weed. And, and so it's vice versa. So like, there's no way if you're a power after you can work all your weak links with just the big three, because, um, you know, if all you did is, um, it's do that and you have some sort of issue, you're just going to develop compensatory movement patterns, by not specifically addressing, you know, that movement with more isolation type stuff. So you, there's going to be some crossover with both. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and before, um, you know, before bodybuilders started taking drugs, uh, pretty much every bodybuilder started off with some sort of strong guy. If you look at like Reg Park and people like that, you know, Reg Park was one of the first people to bench press 500 pounds and he would have, um, you know, held his own in any sort of elite strength circle. So that, that, um, you know, if there, if there wasn't drugs, this wouldn't even be a debate, but there is. So that, that's how people get away with some sort of, you know, maltraining practices. But yeah, I absolutely mix the two. Yeah, if you didn't have any neural drive, obviously the weights that you'd be using wouldn't be um, sufficient to cause a decent amount of hypertrophy or a very minimal. Well, think about it. Yeah, if you can, um, you know, do a front squat with six hundred pounds, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna. I don't care how many leg extensions you do, you're still gonna do more than somebody that only does leg extensions and squats two front squats two hundred pounds. You know, so it's just like you're saying, it's part of your relative max. So if you bench four hundred. You know, it's you, it's going to be a lot easier to do a set at ten at three hundred than if you know you bench three fifteen for a max. Yeah, how how long would you typically get someone to spend in say an accumulation phase um, or an intensification phase? Because you obviously mix them up. Yeah, so that could be depending on on what if they hadn't done it uh, very long, you could you could almost do it for for quite a while because if they've only been training bodybuilding for you're talking about like a strength athlete or just somebody you're converting, like you're changing a bodybuilder's training to more strength training. Let's say we're just trying to get a guy jacked as much as possible. Yeah. So generally it'd be more like three to four weeks on each one. If, if it was something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. That's how we do it. Good. And then just um, rotating between them. Cause obviously both have um, their benefits. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and you know, and like I, tr you know, I, I try to make a point though, not to totally like, you know, I'm sure you do the same thing of like box yourself into that label because that's just kind of like a man-made label. But yeah, like I get what you're saying. Yeah. And with an intensification phase, typically if someone's getting stronger, you just leave them on that phase, wouldn't you? If a lot can... of time because, you know, especially because it's going to depend on their level. If it's somebody I know would burn out because they're so strong, then no. But like somebody you're, like you're talking about, absolutely. Because, you know, if, if you overshoot a little bit, it's, it's real easy to change it. Because that's sort of like the cybernetic a aspect of periodization where you're, if you're actually coaching people, you're taking their feedback into account. You're not just like rigidly following a, pr a preset plan. Yeah, you're judging uh, how much they're gaining each week on their lifts and uh, are they gaining more reps or are they stagnant? Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Say we had an intermediate lifter who weighed 90 kilos and uh, say his bench press one rep max was 130 kilos, but he wanted it to be 150 uh, from your personal experience, how long would it take to put 20 kilos on the bar? Um, I mean, it depends because it, it, I, I couldn't say because it would depend on everything from genetics to arm length to, to everything else. But um, say the guy was six foot two. I, I can't. I can't put the hypothetical. I, I don't. It, there's just. No, no, I'd be. I can't make up an answer. Okay, that's cool. I put it this way: I think I do it faster than about anybody for that yeah, person. Yeah, but from your from your personal experience, um, I've had people do like twice that in like twelve weeks, but that's not the like the norm necessarily. So it it just it it really just depends. I mean, you know, on the background, you know, are they out drinking every night? I mean, there's so many things we could like go over that I, I hate to be the person that says you're gonna put on twenty kilos in eight weeks or ten weeks or. A year for that matter it's just not a practical judgment because there's so much variation you know that's cool i just wanted to uh more i guess um the upper limit that you've achieved say 20 kilos in a set period of time like what, what's the most you've done in say 12 week period on someone's bench press 
Uh, man, I, it would be, you probably think I'm lying if I told you, but I've had it with people doing like, um, I mean, with the, Al Davis bench 670 raw, um, you know, it was like, um, that was about, that was, um, over 60 pounds with 12 weeks at that level. Very so, nice. yeah. So, I mean, it, 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 I mean, trying to think who else would be like that extreme of an example that that one to me is a big one because it's um you know it's such a it's such a high level already yeah yeah obviously diminishing returns as they get up to that level sure well, but i mean you go, go ahead you go oh nothing go ahead i'm, I'm good <laughs> what would be the first thing you'd assess before writing a program for a guy wanting to uh, improve his bench press I would want to see, I would want to see, um, if I was, you know, the best thing would be is obviously to find out where he's at now. So we'd have to have to figure out his max and then, uh, it would be helpful to see, see a video of it because we could kind of see where he, we can kind of target the accessory work initially. So be, you know, if he's like failing a lockout mid range off the chest, that, that kind of stuff. Um, generally people that haven't trained real seriously are going to be, um, Weak right off the chest or weak more towards where the triceps are towards lockout. Okay. Do you have any go-to exercises for, say, lockout? Yes. Or, yeah? For for any part. So go ahead. Lockout. Okay. So um, let's go lockout. Okay. So some of my favorites for lockout, depending, um, I like this close grips with slingshots or even regular grip. With, you know what a slingshot is? Uh, a slingshot is basically that thing that you put around your arms, isn't it? It works like a, yep. like a band. So what it does is it um, it helps you a little bit off your chest. Kind of, it's almost like put on. A, it, it, there's no learning curve, and it, it protects your shoulders and and chest a little bit. But it you to, it it doesn't help. It me helps about ten percent. So say on average, you bench three hundred, you do three thirty, that type of thing. But it doesn't help as much at the top. So that's a good one for lockout. Um, you know, bench press, just regular close grips, bench pressing um, with four inch motion with bands and chains. Um, because the advantage to that over like using boards or something is you still get in the full range of motion, um, dips and those, then the, the, the one, if it's really just a problem at the top right there, one of my favorite ones is isometrics. So what you do is you take like a barbell, you press it against the pins in a squat rack as hard as you can for like, say six seconds, rest a couple minutes then do um, a compensatory or explosive bench press with, say, like a lighter weight, like 80% of your max for a few reps. Rest and repeat that sequence a few times at a point because what the isometric does is the downfall is it's, it's very localized in the training effect, but that's also like kind of the, you know, the upside too is you can directly target a sticking point. So wherever you're training, it's going to be about 15 degree within that joint, joint range of motion. So that's a great one to, to exactly target a sticking point. Like if you have a sticking point, that is that that is like the best way. If it's the exact, if it's pretty much the exact same sticking point, you're not going to beat that way to target it. Awesome. And what about say mid range? Okay, for mid range again, a good one would be um, the isometric at that point. A lot of times, it's going to actually be your shoulder strength too. So strengthening your shoulders, it could be, you know, various raises, presses, things like that. Board presses. Um, then, of course, just bench pressing explosively because a lot of people don't transition well to the bottom. Those would be, that that would be like the go-to for mid-range right there. And then off the bottom, you got a few different ones. Because the thing with, it, with any of this, even if your triceps aren't super strong, if you can blast your weight off your chest real fast, you can almost blast it so fast that your sticking points um, are going to be outrun. Like they're, they're, it's so fast. You don't, they don't have time to manifest themselves. So that being said, um, so off the chest, dead benches, you know what those are? Uh, is that basically just going to a dead stop on your chest? No, it's concentric only bench press. You do it in a power rack. Okay. You would start the weight like an inch off your chest, push it up as explosively as possible. And you want to do that for only singles because you don't want the stretch shortening cycle to enter into it. Yeah, so um, like a pin press, basically. Yeah, exactly. A pin press, just right off the chest. Um, dumbbell pause, bench presses, um, spoto presses, where you, even though you, 
you stop the, the you stop from like an inch or so off your chest and just stay real tight and explode back up. Um, cambered bar bench presses for certain body types. Um, you know, so it'll only be like on a, a couple boards, you just create a slight deficit, but that'd be someone with no shoulder pec problems also doesn't have very long arms because you get someone, you know, real long arms, it's kind of thin. It's kind of puts their shoulder not a very good angle right there. Um, so it's more for shorter guys with shorter limbs. Yeah, guys that are built to bench, it works good as long as they have no – guys that are built to bench with no injuries, it works extremely well. Then, um, again, this would be more for those same type of people's like wider grip bench presses, wide grip pauses. And then those those are you know all some great ones right there. Yeah, there's heaps of information there. Do you have a ratio between someone's bench press uh, versus their dips or overhead press at all? Like a ratio that's, percentage? That's tough. To, I thought I did till I've had some people on dips, um, like really get heavy on dips. So I, I don't think I don't have one now because I've had some people get so strong on dips that I'm, you know, it kind of was baffling to me. Yeah. So have you found the dips tend to help their bench press at all? Absolutely. Even on other, on other levels too, because, um, you know, there's, um, there, there, you get just used to handling heavy weight by when you're able to hold yourself up with all that weight. So it's, it's also, you know, just get, you get yourself used to if you weigh 200 pounds and you're dipping with 200 pounds, just holding 400 up, you know, like that, it helps you get used to handling heavy weights on the bench press to a point. Yeah. Do you, from, a, sorry. You know, it's a different movement. Yeah. Yeah. Still has some transfer though. Yes, Absolutely. Do you ever use remedial exercises like rotator cuff or trap three work? Yeah, I do actually. Uh huh. T three raises and things like that. Okay. And how often would you use those? Depends um, on the you know, a couple times a week. So they're sort of like a cornerstone. So they're if if the goal is strength, uh, they're typically going to be in there just um, to prevent any injuries coming up. That's exactly it. Yep. Very good. With tendons and ligaments, uh, I've found that like getting clients strong is one thing, but then um, getting their tendons, ligaments to catch up because obviously ta- they take a little bit longer to to um, strengthen sure. than muscle. What what kind of methods do you use to make sure that someone's tendons, and ligaments are going to be able to take the the load um, that they're about to lift? Because obviously you get them strong as fast as possible because um, you've obviously got your system down pat. So mm. what kind of methods do you use? A lot of it's overloading and actually holding and handling the heavier weights. That's what like, a lot of the old timers did, and I find it works really well. Yeah, so just unracking and just getting to hold it? It's some stuff like that, yeah. Awesome. I found um, unracking and holding yeah. for um, like 10 seconds, 5 to 10 seconds, um, and then getting them to rack it and then to do like a, a weight that they couldn't do before. That tends to work really well. Yeah, that's I've done it. I I've done it the same thing, but waited longer than that. But yeah, because then it feels so much lighter in your hands and everything. Yeah. Oh, in terms of the waiting period, so I held it for five to ten seconds, and then I waited two minutes, two to three. Okay. Minutes. So yeah, I was like, yeah, done that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm not that crazy. So um, yeah, that's basically. I think the that's that worked for you know if you look at any kind of the old time strongman that did things like that i mean everybody did that back then yeah and i don't know why people have gotten away from it but it works yeah just um getting them prepared for it cuz one of the things i find is the first thing that makes someone about to fail their lift is it's the first time they've unracked it say for one rep max uh, so sure. the first thing that goes through their head is shit this is heavy and you don't really want that to be their first thought because obviously they're at a disadvantage as soon as they've unracked it. Absolutely. So, yeah. And especially, you know, coming up and like, you know, like you're talking about, it takes a long time to get those stronger. So, like, you know, an older lifter wouldn't have to do it as much. But, yeah. you know, as you're coming up, it needs to be part of things. And just giving them exposure to that, that weight. Yeah, that's a psychological boost too to like even if – even if it feels heavy to know, okay, I've, hold, I've held out this much more weight in my hands. It's, it's kind of 
The interesting thing you're asking about ratios earlier is I think um, one of the things that's interesting is overhead pressing. Is there? Um, I think it does help the bench press, but I think it's also overrated and in some ways it helped the bench press. I think for a while, no one overhead pressed at all. So like people got immediate carryover because they were so weak in their shoulders. So I think there is like a certain threshold you have to reach. But like, you know, if you go, I've had people who really push the overhead presses where it quit transferring. What, you know, what, I've had people what would overhead the threshold press. be? Uh, okay. So I would say, you know, if, if you'd want to be, uh, it gets, it gets a little lower as you get stronger too, because if, you know, if, like say we say 70%, you know, there's a good chance someone benching 700 is not going to be overhead pressing 490. So like I had, let me, the example I was talking about is I have a guy want to push his overhead press too. And we were, and he got to 500 pounds that way. And um, his 630 bench did not increase at all. It actually became sort of a detriment because uh, I think we were spending too much time focusing on his overhead press. So I would say 70% is a good place to shoot for um, at, at a, you know, more intermediate strong level. But I think once you get to, like, you know, benching much past 700 raw, which only, you know, a few people have done, there would become a point of diminishing returns where you're just having to use so much energy to lift that kind of weight. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because it's not, it's not proportional. Things aren't – people. that's the biggest – you know, one of the biggest lies out there that everything's proportional. Like if you – Say you squat 800 pounds, doing 600 for 10 is a lot harder than if you squat 400 and doing 300 for 10. It's just not the same. That's why I don't really use I don't use percentages with like people I train. I you know I I customize it to what they need. Yeah, yeah. What's your opinion on deloads? Um, I think they're I think um, they're very good. Uh, how often you need them and stuff is going to be where the individual variation is and even what type it is. Um. But yeah, I think you're gonna have to include them at some point. They're absolutely. Typically, what would you be looking for uh, when you're gonna give a say you're gonna lower the intensity for someone? What what kind of signs are you looking for? Well, what I'm gonna typically do is um, when I work with a person, I would start doing it uh, for most people um, every four weeks or so. Then kind of as I'm getting feedback, I adjust it off there. So it's not usually a type of thing where I'm just gonna be that. Um, you know, that much off of feedback so much that we don't ever deload until they, I think they really need it type of thing. With some people, I'll do stuff like that, but I'll generally have a preset plan and how often that's going to be, he's going to, going to be dictated off of the, the past feedback I have from people versus like saying, all right, I'm going to wait for you to say like, you know, my heartbeats increase five beats a minute when I wake up type of thing. And now we're going to just do it. It's going to be a little more pre-planned than that. Yeah. Do you use anything like that, say heart rate or, or blood pressure? It, I have, yeah, with some people I do, yep, if I need to. So, you know, that's, again, like, yeah, I do do some of that stuff, but a lot of, again, like a lot of what I'm saying here is it's just um, going to be, I, can, I have so many different ways of detecting this stuff even besides that is like, um, I can even tell it from, like this sounds goofy, but like the tone of someone's email or something, what's going on. Just I, I've worked with so many people. I, I can pick up on little idiosyncrasies that you would never expect. Yeah. It's interesting. What, what would it be in particular if you, if you could uh, name one of them on, um, on the emails. Yeah. Okay. So, um, like a good example would be if someone's emailing like long emails are kind of rambling, you know, the, the way longer they need to, then all of a sudden, becoming depressive. pretty short. Yeah, just kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, like, I was working out, then I walked my dog, you know, just like <laughs> rambling. They had nothing to do with the workout, then all of a sudden, they're like, uh, yeah, I completed the week, talk to you later. It's like, okay, something's up here. You know, like, I can just kind of tell, like, little things of what's going on with people. That's cool. Yeah, just seeing how they're... Because obviously you get an idea of what they're consistently like, and then you sort of base that. That's yes. Any, anybody that has an abrupt personality change, um, there would be, you know, that would be like I, the first way I would tell anybody's an abrupt personality change. And, and even, even sometimes if, if somebody's, it's a, a good one that seems good, you know, good, like they're getting super enthusiastic, you still got to watch them 
to a point because at that point they might be getting you know too enthusiastic, and then what's going to happen is if they have one bad workout that they're going to also you know have that same sort of like depressant, so it's almost like manic and depressant type of thing where they like think one workout defines them. But I think it was a the Western writer Louis Rumor, the cowboy writer, said victories won in inches, not miles, and that's kind of the mindset you got to go with training like. One workout doesn't define you. As long as your training sessions are consistently trending upwards, you're going to make progress. That's a very good point there. Do you train female and male clients differently at all? Um, not a whole lot differently. Um, again, it's going to be more on, on the individual's needs and their histories. Yeah, so not, not a ton differently. I, I have more of the female client. I've had a lot of female clients trained for different things. We're trained for like bikini and stuff. And that's obviously going to be a little bit different, but yeah. Do you get female powerlifters coming to you? Yes, but I've, for whatever reason, I have a lot. Yeah, I have, you know, good ones, but I've, for whatever reason, I've had a large majority male. It may just be the sport is mostly male too, you know, because you go to like a powerlifting meet and there's a hundred people, you know, 10 of them are female. So it may not be, anything but that but yeah I have a vast majority of the powerlifters are male yeah cool how much would you say is a safe amount of strength to increase a lift by each week say for a natural lifter versus an enhanced lifter um, if uh, you had to give a percentage or a set weight amount per week uh, what would it be it would depend on the experience level because if somebody was like say squatting 900 pounds and they're going to, you know, they've been doing like a lot of off season, like bodybuilding type work. They're, they're going to ramp up pretty dang fast. You know, it'd be like 20, 30 pounds a week, no problem. So versus like, you know, so it, it, cause they'd already been there before. So it's not like you're really increasing that person 30 pounds a week. Cause you know, they're playing catch up initially type of thing. Yeah. Do, so, you, have, do you have a difference what, between natural and enhanced lifters that you'd kind of expect from, uh, natural versus enhanced? I think a bit, well, that's a good question. And I think a lot of it comes down to also the person's mindset because obviously uh, steroids work well or people wouldn't um, risk their livelihoods and, and their lives for some matter of doing to extreme amounts. So they clearly work. And um, if you have an aggressive mindset, you can, you can make them work that much better because you know, you got the mentality of, you know, I'm putting the surp, super, super turbo fuel in my truck. Now I'm going to take it out on the high, you know, I'm going to take it out on the super highway, not just kind of cruise around town. If you got that kind of mindset, you know, with that being said, it, it can go up a lot where versus somebody that's, uh, I've seen people that have taken them that haven't gone up at much at all. They're, you know, like, yeah, I'm going to do my first cycle. I'm going to, you know, hoping my bench goes up 15 pounds. I'm thinking, <laughs> you're willing to risk this for 15 pounds? Like, come on. <laughs> Who's so that, a lot of these, I hate to give you these answers if it depends, but I, I, I honestly could, you know, look at you with a straight face and I tell you, I train everybody different and I just go off their feedback. And that's why, you know, I try to, I've written a lot of books that are long and stuff because I'm trying to put all my thoughts into paper. And, you know, sometimes it turns out to be 500 pages. And that's really how it is, is I'm just adjusting to people's feedback and I don't like operate off of one set of rules. That's why I learned from all these different disciplines like, you know, bodybuilding, strongman. Um, right now I'm reading a book on the psychology and physiology of warfare. I mean, I, I, I just try to learn from all these different sources and, and, get, and get people the best results. I don't have, you know, like a Ten Commandments of training type of thing where, you know, if, if you know, if hanging upside down doing bicep curls from the ceiling would get you bigger biceps than you want. That's what we do. It's just about getting the results they want. Yeah. Not yeah, absolutely. About, you know, following rules. How often for you, do you implement strongman training, say with a powerlifter? Cause obviously if they're always doing the same lifts, do you find they get niggles and things like that? So then obviously I, strongman training just to mix it up. I think it's, I think it's um, as long as they're athletic and you pick the right events, it's great in the off season. So the ones I would, I would like avoid a lot of stones. For the, I mean, I got some people I'll do stones once in a while, but that can be a bicep or, you know, tear pretty tires. Definitely avoid because I've seen, I've seen um, that's the most common, besides deadlifting with your supinated hand, the most, I'd say I've seen more biceps torn on tires. I've seen a lot of biceps torn on tires. I've gotten way less gung ho on tire flips because of that. I mean, I think they're awesome, but like, 
that's that's the potential you know if someone bends their arm or whatever that being said like yoke farmer's walk you know things like that are awesome in the off season and even sometimes if someone's not like super advanced as they're prepping for a meet you know because you think about it what's you know how how what better way to you know work your grip than a farmer's walk you know core stability with the and just handling heavy weight we're talking about building ligaments and tendons i mean people you know, that, you know, squat 500 pounds can do an 800 pound yoke with some practice. So, you know, it's a great way to do it. And so off season, mostly, cause I think it's a, you know, they'll do like, you know, different phases. Like you might do like more bodybuilding type phase, more strongman type phase, you know, either two to three, like three or four week blocks type of thing that, and then um, sometimes even, you know, I want to, we we got good results with one of my top deadlifters. Um, we did a lot of the heavy sled drags, pretty much all the way up to the meet. I think it helped a lot with his leg drive, and he went from um, you know 804 pound PR to an 848, which at that level you're going from like really good to one of the top in the world. How long would that sled drag be? It was about 20 yards, so I think it's about like you know set 18 meters or something about yeah. that so not too far more just about um explosiveness yeah i mean it got pretty heavy so it wasn't really like super explosive but he was driving with his legs big time and, and also holding on to the end of that you know because i'm talking about backwards pull is uh you know it's tough on your grip i actually um the video's not out yet but we filmed a video today i was putting a bodybuilder through that um he'd never done that before dragging a sled backwards and it was amazing, you know, they do all these stuff of like, you know, I'm going to do 200 total leg extensions, you know, to go to failure, rest 10 seconds, so you get to 200, that type of training. And then a sled drag, you know, 24 sets of 20 yards with a minute break in between it heavy, you know, beat them down like a redheaded stepchild. So, I mean, it was pretty crazy. I really that, that. that point is what I'm trying to say is like not staying to like a certain amount of rules that are like, you know, that are, are there. I mean, cause this, this would work for him. Branch Warren only dragged sleds before he got his pro card, you know, cause they told him he was, he was bottom heavy. So prepping for his pro card, he never squatted once. He only dragged sleds and any, and like his legs didn't get much bigger, but they got, they were super shredded. So I think there's, you know, and I don't want not, I went off on a tangent that you didn't ask about, but I, th- I think that's, what you got to remember is there is some sort of like we're talking about, even strongman would be in sort of this cross-disciplinary thing we're talking about here. No, that that was um, very insightful because it's a good way to get the pressure of someone's lower back as well. So obviously you want to get their deadlift up. What's another way that you can get it up? Uh, the sled drag is a fantastic idea. I think um, that's a good point in your lower back because, um, I mean, you knew him so heavy too. It, yeah, it, it, you know, it totally takes the stress off. And another one you can look at is only there's no eccentric to it. So, I mean, unless you're going down a hill or something, which you wouldn't want to do, but you know, there's, so you can do it more often. So if you're trying to bring up a lagging body part and you want to train with higher frequency than you normally would, you know, you could do that with, if for your triceps, you want to do overhead extensions with a sled, you could do backwards, you know, cause there is only concentric. So you can do it a little more often because we cover a lot faster. That's yeah. That's awesome. What, what what's your go-to exercises to get guys lower back strong? Um, I like um, I'd have to show you a video of this one exercise is the Hatfield back raise. Um, kind of hard to explain here. The um, I got a video of it though on, on YouTube. And then I got um, I like the have you ever seen you know what a deadlift hyper is? Is that like basically you're doing a deadlift on a hyper? Is that exactly right? yeah exactly forty five degree hyper yeah. Um, Good mornings. And then, of course, obviously, you know, deadlifting, but I assume you're saying like to help increase it for the deadlift. Yeah, yeah. And then I think like a lot of these strongman events. So, I mean, like, you know, obviously, you know, you're, you're a yoke and stuff, seeing so your entire body strong. But if you're, you know, moving with, say, a, you know, like, say, a thousand pounds and you're deadlifting 700, obviously, your lower back's going to get stronger from, you know, all the downward compression of that thousand pound yoke. Yeah. Heaps of goodies there. Thanks for that, Josh. (laughs) No problem. Who's helped you the most uh, with your understanding of how to get someone next level strong? Um, 
I would say with strength, um, it, it's a lot of people. So I've had a lot of help from people. Um, I, uh, Fred Hatfield would be one of my mentors. Um, a lot of people I've trained with over the years, like a guy named Steve Hall got me started. Um, Ode Hog and all sorts of people I've trained with over the all my sort of training partners over the years. Trained with um, Paul Winter, Nart Labar, Yorbalinda Barbell Club. So I've Gary, I trained Gary Frank in Louisiana. So all those people were super helpful on like working with them. Uh, reading wise, uh, like I didn't know Fred Hatfield. We started doing seminars together all the time now, so I know him now. But like reading wise, him reading wise for a lot of the my hypertrophy stuff. I learned a lot from Charles Poliquin. Then, um, you know, also strength stuff from him, but a lot of the hypertrophy stuff, I, I, I felt like he was by far my biggest influence on that side of stuff. Um, from not knowing him, but reading all his stuff. Now I know him, but like I read all of his stuff. Um, in, in person, it would be Brian Dobson at, at Metroflex Gym, who I trained with. So, yeah, I, I'm definitely not a lone wolf here. I think, uh, Anybody to get anywhere is going to have to get some help from people, and um, I'm fortunate to have gotten really good help from really good people. You've written quite a few books now. Um, are you currently working on one or looking at releasing one soon? Uh, I just released one, actually. I released one last month. It's called Built to the Hilt, Strength and the Power Edition. Okay. It's, so that's the new version because I've got the, the original. Yes. It's so... It's nothing like it, so it's not like if you like uh, bought the old one, it's all the same. There's like you know an, a strength program instead of a bodybuilding type one. It's a totally different book. Um, so th- that's people. That's only you know that's the only thing people have been asking me is it like kind of no, it's totally different. If it was called like you know strength and power, blah blah blah. That's all it's about is strength and power and getting stronger. It's a heavy focus on, on powerlifting and a lot of stuff on strongman. There's not so much on Olympic lifting, but there's a lot, like a large section on plyometrics, compensatory acceleration training, all that stuff. And, um, it's about 500 pages long. It's a very long book. And it just came out and it's got, um, so far, I mean, the, the reviews have been, um, better on it than the first one. I thought, see, I always thought, um, my best books were Built to the Hilt for somebody that wants more science and then uh, Jailhouse Strong for somebody that just wants to, you know, something that's not written at like a real scientific level and just wants to get after it and do it, be entertained while they're reading. But a lot of people, the, the, the reviews have been astounding, so it's not really my opinion what matters. It's what people are saying. They're really liking it, so I'm, ha- I'm happy to hear that. Because I really like the Built to the Hilt, the original one, because it's almost set out like a resource. Uh, you just kind of you got the contents and then you just go to what you need at the time which is awesome that's exactly how this would be so if you just wanted like um, all right how do, how do I get stronger in 12 weeks I don't really want to learn anything I just want to flip open the, there are programs in there but I don't think you would you know this would be the book for you it's if you really want to like you know there is that so if you wanted to just get stronger you could script straight to the programs and do that but there's a lot of like the why on how to do that. It's like the advantage of like different types of periodization and stuff, you know, like, so I try to keep it really like, not, you know, I'm going to tell you what I do. And then the scientific side of it that's in there, it's going to be, you know, not, there's no agenda there. It's just to try to find, you know, what's the truth to get people stronger. That's why I purposely don't like come out with one training system. So I have to like prove it's right. I don't want to do that. I'm looking, you know, like what Charles Pollock and Fred Hatfield, like people like that are always looking to get better, the best results, not like have a system and somehow like, you know, use pseudo proof that it's actually true. Yeah. I think understanding is the most important thing because for the more someone understands, the more, uh, I guess, believing of it they're going to be because they're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense rather than just telling someone what to do. Yeah, I, I agree. That's I, that's how I think too. But there are people that don't think that way, so that's why I've done <laughs> books. Because, I, hey, if you don't really care, you're like, I don't really care about this crap. I just want to know what to do. I have no problem with that, and there I have resources for you. So those would be um, the case in point example. Of that would be like the Jailhouse Strong Interval Training book. All it is is a book of interval training programs. 
So there is like a slight intro and stuff, but like if you're like looking to know like the ins and outs and the science of it, you know, that wouldn't be the place to go. If you were about to do like a thesis on it, I wouldn't recommend you buy it to like make this a resource for your thesis. But if you're looking at like enough interval programs to a lifetime and just see what to do, then it's going to be the best nine and nine you ever spent in your life. Yeah, I, I was very happy with it. So um highly recommend it to anyone listening. I appreciate that. Okay, thank you, Josh. Uh, how can we keep all these uh, strength tips and insights coming people's way? Like, do you have a, okay. what's best for you? The best way to keep this coming is to go to my website, joshstrength.com, and sign up for my newsletter. It's free. There's no obligation. You don't have to do anything. You don't ever have to do anything. You should put your email address in. I send out the newsletter. I'm on social media quite a bit. Um, my Instagram's jailhousestrong. We're, we're always posting uh, stuff of, you know, of various lifts and stuff. Uh, Facebook's the Josh Strength Method. I can't add any more, like, friends on my max now, but I have a big Facebook page called the Josh Strength Method. And then on Twitter, my name's uh, Josh Strength. So that's the best way to, you know, connect with me. And, of course, if you're, like, looking for coaching or something, you just do it. You can get directly through my website. We obviously wouldn't tweet back and forth about that, but um, that's the best way to get a hold of me. Awesome. With the Facebook, you don't have a, a fan page? Yeah, Josh Strength Method. Okay. So people should be able to like you on there and follow you that way. That should be good. Yeah, 100%. Yep. Awesome. Thank you very much, Josh. Thank you, Reese. I appreciate you having me on here. It was nice talking. You seem like a really smart guy. I'm impressed. Cheers. Thanks, Josh. Look forward to cool. talking to you right. in the future. Okay. And hopefully come to Australia one of these days. Yeah, for sure. Great podcast there okay. with Josh right. Ryan you, and Reese Adams representing the Enterprise Fitness Podcast. Guys, if you haven't already, do subscribe to us on iTunes, like us on Facebook, and please, please, please share it on your social media places like Twitter and Facebook and take a picture of of the episode you're listening to and put it on Instagram. But also, do leave us a review on iTunes to help our ranking. I mean, if you love it or hate it, let us know. We love feedback. We love improving. And if you have any suggestions for the show, any questions for us, want any information about personal training with us, courses that we run, want to do a consult with one of me or one of my fantastic team members, email info at enterprisefitness.com.au. Our hotline is 1-300-887-143. Phones have been ringing off the hook. So preferably, if you have an inquiry or a question, do email us at info at enterprisefitness.com.au. Got a fair few shows up now for you guys to to look at and listen to. If you like the backing track, uh, this backing track is the official Enterprise Fitness theme song and anthem produced by my buddy Jamin and on the song that we were releasing uh, Prodigal Son from the Wu-Tang Clan and Sons of Man raps on it and it's absolutely superb when you guys listen to it you know you can know it's the Enterprise Anthem that's for sure so until next time folks train hard eat well and supplement smart